Every parent knows that uh, you need a little bit of both mercy and discipline to get the job done. And in fact, some parents like to trade this off. I know uh, in some households, you know, as children, you know which parent is the merciful one and which parent is the disciplinarian, right? Raise your hand if you're the merciful parent. Raise your hand, merciful parents. All right, we have a few. That's good. Raise your hand if you are the disciplinarian. Well, we have a few more. It seems like our children are in trouble. <laughs> uh, it, it depends for me. For Bennett, I'm the disciplinarian. But for Mallory and, and now Amelia, I mean, these are girls, you know? These are little girls. How can you be a disciplinarian for them, right, honey? <laughs> we know as parents that there needs to be a combination of mercy and discipline. In our story today, in 1 Kings 13, you're going to see a very unusual combination of mercy and discipline. The title of my message today is Mercy, Irony, and Tragedy at Bethel, which is the name of the town we're in in 1 Kings 13. This is part two of our second part in 1 Kings 13, entitled, The Merciful One Dies While the Liar Lives. It's a fascinating story, and we're going to turn to 1 Kings 13 in just a moment. But first, I need to give a little bit of a backdrop, a backstory to those of you that might have missed it last week. In 1 Kings 13, we are about in about the early mid-900s B.C. There's a man by the name of King Jeroboam, and he's in the northern kingdom of Israel. And Jeroboam is, is, a, is the new king of the north. And the king of the south was a man named Rehoboam. And Jeroboam to the north was concerned because his, to the south of him was Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, but it was also Jerusalem to the south. Jeroboam in the north did not have control of Jerusalem. And he was concerned that his people in the north, Jews, would want to go to Jerusalem and worship. He was concerned that as they went to Jerusalem and left his kingdom and went to the southern kingdom, that they would then defect and join the southern kingdom of Israel and perhaps turn against him. And so in a desire to retain his power in the north, knowing that they needed a center of worship if they couldn't go to Jerusalem, Jeroboam built his own centers of religious worship. Only these were pagan shrines of worship. Jeroboam started to fall far away from the Lord. And the people of the north went right with him, serving uh, pagan idols and committing idolatry. Well, sure enough, in time, there was a man of God in the southern region of Judah. And this man of God traveled to the north to confront Jeroboam and to speak God's judgment. And when this man came up to Jeroboam and faced him and confronted him, Jeroboam pointed out his finger at the man and said, Arrest him! But just as he did, his hand withered as a sign that God was with the man of God who had confronted Jeroboam. Well, Jeroboam begged for mercy. His hand withered. He had pointed at the man to arrest him, but now he wanted mercy and he asked for it and he received it from the man of God. The man of God prayed and his hand was restored. Well, now to 
because he was now indebted to the man of God and wanting to show him favor and to bless him and to reward him, Jeroboam said, come, come back with me, man of God, and, and, and come to my home. I want to reward you. I want to pay you. I want to bless you. And I want you to, in turn, bless me. But the man of God said no. And the reason he said no is listed in 1 Kings 13. If you have a Bible, it's not on your outline here. But 1 Kings 13, the reason the man of God said no to Jeroboam's offer of hospitality was this. In verse 8 of chapter 13, the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you. Nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. Verse 9, for so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way, the man of God did, and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. The man of God refused King Jeroboam's offer of hospitality because God had told him to refuse it. God had commanded him to refuse it. Why did he do that? Well, in the ancient Near East, accepting an offer of hospitality like that would have been, in essence, condoning the head of the household. If the man of God had walked through that door of Jeroboam's home, it would have been as if he was saying, it's okay, Jeroboam, all that you're doing. It's okay, all your pagan worship. It's okay, all of your idolatry. It's perfectly fine. And so the man of God, God told the man of God and said, don't go in there, because if you go in there, it will be as if you're condoning his actions. And so the man of God got up and he left. He went from Bethel to the north and started to travel back to the region of Judah. And that's where we left the man last week, traveling back to Judah, perhaps thinking that his job was done. But as we pick up the story in verse 11, we learn that his job was far from over. Take a look at 1 Kings chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. It says, Now an old prophet, this is another man, an old prophet dwelt in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And they also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king, Jeroboam. And their father said to, the, to his sons, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. And he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him. And he rode on it. Verse 14. And he went after the man of God. And he found him sitting under an oak. At the beginning of 1 Kings 13, we learn of a man of God. We don't know his name. In fact, we never learned his name. Here in verse 11, we learn of an old prophet. We don't know his name. And in fact, we never know his name. Unnamed Prophets. And this old prophet of verse 11, intrigued by the man of God, intrigued by his works, and by his bold words to King Jeroboam, he has a desire to meet with this man, to find this man of God, to get to know him. There's no mention that the old prophet 
had ever confronted Jeroboam in this way. Oh, he had lived to the north, no doubt. He had lived in Bethel. And the fact that he even lived there might raise suspicion as to the level of faithfulness of this prophet, this old prophet of verse 11. He lived there, and yet, had he not confronted King Jeroboam? Had he not told Jeroboam that he was in the wrong? We're not told. But one thing is sure. The prophet, the old prophet in verse 11, is so impressed by the boldness of the man of God that he got on his donkey and he rode after him. And sure enough, he caught up with the man of God. We pick up the story in the middle of verse 14. Then he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And the man of God said, I am. And he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. The man of God said, I cannot return with you nor go in with you. Neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. Why? For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. Come home with me, says the prophet to the man of God. Come home, eat bread. We've seen this before. We saw this just moments earlier in verse 7 when King Jeroboam offered hospitality to the man of God. An offer of hospitality to not only bless him, but to receive blessing. To curry the man of God's favor and blessing. And the man of God holds his ground again. He repeats what he told Jeroboam in verses 8 and 9. He says, I can't go with you. God told me not to go with you. I can't cross the threshold of your home. I cannot condone what's happening in Bethel. But as the man of God said these things and turned away to continue south to Judah, the old prophet caught him by the arm. And this is what he said in verse 18. The old prophet said to the man of God, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him. Verse 19, So the man of God went back with the old prophet and ate bread in his house and drank water. The comment in parentheses, most likely in parentheses in your Bible, some translations might have it outside of parentheses at the end of verse 18. But that little five-word sentence, he was lying to him, is a little editorial comment made by the compiler of 1 Kings. He's making a comment for the reader to know as he's walking the reader through the narrative. He's made an editorial comment in here to let you and I both know that the old prophet was totally fabricating this story of an angel telling him to bring the man of God home with him. He lied to the man of God to get what he wanted from him. 
Have you ever lied to get what you wanted? Have you ever deceived, intentionally deceived someone to get what you wanted or to avoid a consequence? Maybe you've lied on a resume. Maybe you've lied on a tax return. Maybe you've lied in front of someone to avoid a certain consequence or to gain a certain approval or blessing. Have you ever lied to get what you wanted? My daughter Mallory loves ice cream. And uh, she loves ice cream so much, she will do anything to get ice cream. And uh, one day, uh, my wife does not remember this, so I think it was just me and the kids or something, but one day uh, I, we, I had fed Mallory uh, her, her dinner, and, uh, I, and she had carrots left. She had her carrot sticks left on her plate. And I said, Mallory, uh, you need to eat your carrot sticks if you want your ice cream. Okay, Daddy. You know, and I, I came by again, and Mallory, you need to eat your carrot sticks if you want your ice cream. Okay, Daddy, okay, I will. Well, sure enough, I head out of the, the dining area, and I come back, and sure enough, she's like, Daddy, look, look. And there were no more carrots on the plate. And I said, that's great. And I went, I turned to get the ice cream, and I come back with a bowl of ice cream, and I set it before her, and she takes her first bite, and I hear, <coughs> I'm like, it's not you, right? No. <coughs> I look under the table. My dog is choking on carrots. <laughs> Daphne is eating the three carrot sticks under the table. And I look and I, I look at Mallory and I, I pull the ice cream away. And I say, Mallory, uh, did you eat your carrot sticks? Oh, yes, 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 I ate my carrot sticks. Mallory, why is the doggy eating carrot sticks? <laughs> She didn't have an answer. And needless to say, my dog almost choked to death uh, because she's a very fragile dog, for those of you that know our dog. I don't even know if she qualifies as a dog. So here was our dog choking to death and Mallory trying to tell me that she had eaten her carrot sticks. Well, I obviously knew what had occurred and, and so I, I pulled her aside and we had a talk about lying and about the consequences of lying. And sure enough, I had to pull the ice cream away that day, and she was not able to get her treat. We do crazy things to receive blessing, don't we? We do, we'll, we'll go to great lengths to get what we want. Will you lie? Will you deceive to get it? The old prophet, the old prophet, he desperately wanted the honor, the blessing of hosting this man of God. He desperately wanted him. Come home with me. Bless me. Tell me, how do you have this power from God? Bless my home. Bless me as a prophet. And in his selfish desire to receive a blessing, he lied to the man of God. The old prophet had become a compromiser. He lived in a pagan land. And while his king and people committed idolatry, it seems he remained silent. And finally, when a real man of God came to do the very thing that the old prophet was unwilling to do, 
The old prophet, thinking only of himself, intentionally lied to the man of God. My daughter's little white lie had consequences. She lost ice cream. She almost killed my dog. Would there be any consequences for the selfish lies of the old prophet? Take a look at verse 20. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet, the old prophet, who had brought the man of God back to the house. Verse 21, And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, Because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, you ate bread, you drank water, in the place of which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. The Bible is filled with stories of unfaithful men who, for a time, served as the mouthpiece of God. We think of Balaam in the book of Numbers. Fascinating story. We think of the story of Jonah in the prophets. Now we can add to this, this old prophet, to the same list of unfaithful men through whom God spoke. And the word that God spoke through this old prophet was particularly disheartening. There he is in his home, having lied to bring the man of God to him. And as he sat in his home and dined with the man of God, the Lord actually came upon the old prophet. Involuntarily, perhaps, the prophet was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke God's Word to the man he had lied to. And he said, thus says the Lord, because you've disobeyed the Word of the Lord, your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. I'm often uh, on the radio and listening uh, to the radio as I drive, and inevitably I, I listen to the traffic reports whenever I'm going somewhere, and uh, sometimes you'll hear of accidents on the freeway, T- terrible accidents, sometimes you know, fatal accidents. And any time I hear of a fatal accident on the radio, my mind is almost always drawn to the, to the, to the person who perhaps caused the accident. Can you imagine uh, causing an accident on the freeway that contributed to someone's death. I often think of what it would be like to to be that person and the horror and, and, and the sickness that they must feel having contributed to a fatal accident. And there's little solace to be found except in the fact that it was an accident. That they didn't mean it. That they didn't intend for that to happen. That they, sure, they made a mistake on the road, but surely they weren't there hoping for someone to die. Here in 1 Kings, the old prophet's actions were no accident, they were deliberate. He had lied to the man of God. He had done so intentionally, and now the man of God was going to die. Really? 
Is that really going to happen? He must have thought. Look at verse 23. So it was, after the man of God had eaten bread, and after he had drunk, that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, the man of God that is, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse, and there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the ground, and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went, and they told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. I know what emotion you're feeling. Not fair. Not fair. Are you kidding? This is not fair. Our heart rises up within us. We read this and we think, this is in the Bible? And our heart begins to dole out a long list of excuses for the man of God. A long list of excuses. He, he was lied to. He, he was deceived. It wasn't his fault. It was just a piece of bread. It was just a, a glass of water. A million excuses flood into our minds trying to find a way to let this man of God live. What's noteworthy in the narrative in First Kings is that the only excuses come from us. Nowhere in 1 Kings 13 does it indicate that the man of God protested what had happened to him. It's possible that he did. It's possible that he protested. But it's noteworthy that nowhere is it mentioned. It's noteworthy that nowhere do we see uh, the old prophet turning to the man of God and saying, Thus says the Lord, um, because I've lied to you, you're going to die. Nowhere does it show the, old, the, the, the man of God taking his right fist and giving an uppercut to the old prophet. As I think I might. Nowhere does it say, say that the man of God heard those words and turned around and said, God, you've got to be kidding Nowhere is it mentioned that he protested this. When the lion approached him, nowhere is it written that he looked up to the Lord and said, Why me? Why me? Instead, we see the man of God quietly accept his fate. Very quietly accept his fate. Which reminds us of really how... Uh, Another man faced death. A greater man faced death. In Isaiah 53, 7, it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. It speaks of Jesus. It speaks of the death of Jesus speaks of the way in which 
Jesus Christ faced what we would all agree is a very unjust death. We all, with one accord, read the death of the man of God in 1 Kings 13 and all with one accord say, no way that's not fair. And so also we look at the cross of Christ. Is our, should our reaction be any less? Jesus faced death and opened not His mouth. He faced it quietly. He faced it humbly. He faced it as an act of reverence toward God the Father and in a desire to shed mercy upon all of us. And what was the effect of that death? It was that God's act of justice upon His Son, that act of justice because He put all the sin of the world upon His Son's shoulders, that act of justice in letting His Son go to the cross paved the way for God to show mercy to all. And in like fashion, the quiet death of the man of God led to a change of heart, a speckle of mercy that God would now show to the old lying prophet. Look at verse 26. Now when the prophet who had brought the man of God back from the way heard about his death, he said, it is the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke, the old prophet did, to his sons, saying, saddle the donkey for me again. So they saddled it. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the ground on the road and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey and brought it back so that the old, pro- so the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. Just a day earlier, think about this, just a, just a day earlier, hours earlier, The old prophet had saddled the donkey and rode after the man of God for very different reasons. For selfish reasons. He selfishly desired the blessing and the power of the man of God and stopped at nothing to get it. But this day, this hour, the old prophet had the donkey saddled again and he rode after the man of God for a very different reason. This time he had come to pay his respect and to pay his honor to the man whose blood was on his hands. He had lied to him. And that lie had carried with it the greatest of consequences. And so, in an act of repentance and remorse, the old prophet had returned to the man of God to honor his death, to give him a proper burial, which in that culture, in that context, was to highly esteem the one who had died. He was the first to get there and to retrieve the body and to care for it properly. Verse 30, Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb 
the old prophet did. And they mourned over the man of God, saying, Alas, my brother. So it was after he had buried him that he spoke to his sons, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord, saying, against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of Samaria, that saying will surely come to pass. The man of God had died, just as God said he would if he accepted hospitality in Bethel. But the strictness of his death sentence had brought about a measure of mercy. The strictness, the justness of his death sentence had brought about a measure of mercy, had brought about a change in the old lying prophet. And now once again, this old prophet, who had lost his way in Bethel, he had gone to the north and had grown silent as King Jeroboam committed his idolatrous ways. But now, once again, the old prophet was persuaded that God's Word is to be taken seriously. He knew that his hometown of Bethel was to be judged. And so the old prophet instructed his sons to bury him right next to the man of God one day as a sign of his solidarity with the prophecy of the man of God. And so the old prophet had transformed from a selfish liar to one of humility, remorse, and reverence before God. In a story like this, we might wonder, why didn't God kill the old prophet too? After all, he's the one who lied to the man of God. He's the one who contributed to his death. Why did the man of God die? And why did this old prophet, this, this liar, why did he live? And that's a fair question. Unfortunately, 1 Kings does not give us the answer to that question. It doesn't tell us. But it seems to me that there are two primary ways that God gets people's attention. Two primary ways in this life that God grabs our focus. On your outline, the first is this. He grabs our focus by great acts of mercy. By great acts of mercy. And secondly, He he grabs our attention, God does, sometimes by discipline or even death. By discipline or even death. Sometimes God will show us great acts of mercy to get our attention. They are meant to draw us closer to Him. We see it when we watch testimony of the Haiti team. And we see the amazing mercy of God that is being flooded on the people of Haiti. And there's so much more to be done. But when we see these great acts of mercy, heroism, and courage by the team that goes, we rise up. We get excited. We get inspired. The Spirit of God fills us and we say, yes, let's do it. Let's go. Other times, though, God gets our attention differently. He gets it through discipline. Or perhaps He even exacts death to remind us that life is fragile. To remind us that sin is serious. 
To remind us that His Word matters. To remind us that we need to pay heed to it. In the death of Jesus, God did both. He exacted the death of His Son and He did so that He might flood the world with mercy. How is God trying to get your attention? Is He showering you with mercy? Is He disciplining you? Is He taking you to the brink? Are you listening to the way in which God is trying to communicate to you? Not everyone will get the message. You might think, if He's just merciful to me, I'll get the message. Just be merciful, God, and then I'll I'll, I'll turn. Be merciful, God, and, and then I'll respond to you. So many think. And yet, remember Jeroboam. When he pointed at the man of God and said, Arrest him! And his hand withered. And then it was restored again. Because the man of God prayed for him. An incredible act of God's mercy. God trying to get Jeroboam's attention. Wake up! Wake up! Jeroboam undoubtedly heard word of the story that befell the man of God and must have thought to himself, wow, I got my hand healed and the man of God died? And that old lying prophet lived? You might think it would grab hold of Jeroboam's heart and cause him to turn. And yet we read the two closing verses of 1 Kings 13. Verse 33 and 34. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. But again he made pagan priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated him. And he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam, so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of of the earth. It led to his downfall. God shaking him by great acts of mercy. God shaking him by showing him even death of a righteous man of God. And yet Jeroboam still did not listen. And so the question to us, are we to be like Jeroboam who saw God's mercy, who saw God's judgment and yet still said, meh, I'm going to keep going on my way. Or will you be like the old prophet? He had his share of mistakes. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. A seductor. One who pulled a righteous man of God away from a good path. And yet, when he realized his error, when he realized his mistake responded with repentance, remorse, and reverence. We're all going to make mistakes. At times, we will not pay attention to the mercy of God. We'll ignore it. Other times, we'll look at His discipline, even harsh discipline, and we'll shake our fist at Him instead of responding 
with remorse and repentance and a turning. This story in 1 Kings 13 is, is one that you can look at and say, eh, it's unfair. It doesn't make sense. I'm not going to pay attention to it. But remember, God is trying to get your attention in different ways. Sometimes through mercy, sometimes through judgment. And in the death of Christ, He did both. He put His Son on the cross and exacted the penalty of the sin of the world, but He did so that He might shower us with mercy. And that is, in fact, what we have by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're befuddled by this story at times. It's not clean. It's not neat. It doesn't make perfect sense to us. We rise up with emotion, God, as we hear the story of the death of the man of God. And we are repulsed by the lies of the old prophet, by his deceit, by the stubbornness of Jeroboam. It's a strange story, Lord, and yet we know it's in Your Word for a reason. And it's there to make sense, perhaps, in part, of the fact that life is a little messy at times. We know that rain comes down on the righteous and the wicked. We know that blessing comes down on the righteous and the wicked. And at times, it just does not make sense to us. But Lord, help us to pay attention to how You're trying to grab our focus. And when You show us mercy, God, may we not ignore it. When You discipline us, may we not shake our fist. But may we just humbly, graciously, be always responsive to the ways in which You're trying to teach us. Those ways will be different for everyone. At times it will appear more harsh. At times it will appear more lenient. But God, however You're working in our lives or in the lives of those around us, may the end result be a response to You. May we, like that old righteous man of God, even face the direst of consequences with humility, with grace. Not a word of protest, but of faithfulness. And in so doing, Lord, our example, following the example of Christ, will affect and take uh, and, and, and give birth to great mercy and sensitivity in others. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.